on this Good Friday as we gather. I want to start with a poem, and it's a poem that I probably read every Holy Week, but it's one that has deep meaning for me, and I trust for you as well as we prepare ourselves to enter into this holy moment, gathering around this table and these elements. It's a poem by Anne Weens, and it goes like this. Holy was the week, holy, consecrated, belonging to God. We moved from hosannas to horror with the predictable ease of those who know not what they do. Our hosannas sung and our palms waved. We went with passion into this week. It was a time to curse fig trees that do not yield fruit. It was a time to cleanse our temples of any blasphemy. It was a time to greet Jesus as the Lord's anointed one, to lavishly break our alabaster and pour perfume out for him without counting the cost. It was a time for preparation. But now the time to give thanks and break bread is upon us. The time to give thanks and drink of the cup is imminent, to eat and drink and remember. And on this darkest of days, each of us must stand beneath the one and watch the dying if we are to be there when the stone is rolled away. The only road to Easter morning is through the unrelenting darkness of that Friday. Only then will the hallelujahs be sung. Only then will the dancing begin. We gather on this Good Friday, coming onto holy ground. Today we're remembering the cross. We remember Jesus' death, but we also remember that Jesus died for a reason. It wasn't a random act of some totalitarian government, though it seemed that way. It wasn't the vindictive act of angry leaders, though in one sense it was that too. It wasn't even just the desperate act of desperate men. Men with everything to lose, though they thought that. But truly it was God at work. It was his plan, the plan of God who loved the world so much that he would send his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It was a calculated act. It was an act of political theater. It was an act of religious desperation. It was many of those things, as John tells us in that story about Caiaphas, who was high priest. John says this in his gospel. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the council that ruled in Israel. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is Jesus performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. One of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And John goes on, he didn't say that on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, 
to bring them together and make them one. It's interesting in John's Gospel, it was Caiaphas who, without any understanding and in a very ironic way, without even seeing that for himself, explained perfectly what Good Friday is all about. That Jesus would die for the good of the people. Better for you that one man should perish for the people than that the whole nation should perish. For the good of the nation, this Jesus must die. And as high priest, John says, he prophesied that that year. And John says he got it right. As we gather around this table this morning, we're going to remind ourselves of his death. But to fully understand it, we probably need to go back to the beginning. To go back to that story in the creation. That story in the third chapter of Genesis. Where God has made everything perfect and now the story shifts. And because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, everything becomes different. And the world changes. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say to you that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Oh, of course we may eat the trees from the fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What Genesis tells as a story, Paul in the book of Romans tells as theology. He put it this way. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, because everyone sinned. And I think the heart of that story in Genesis 3, the heart of what Paul was trying to explain in Romans was verse 6. She took some of the fruit and ate it, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, when they disobeyed God, when they followed their own way, the universe changed. There was this change in the very fabric of creation. What was very good became affected by sin. Death and decay entered the world. One act that changed everything. It's as if you had this priceless crystal vase and you're holding it one moment, and the next moment it slips through your fingers and it drops and hits the floor, and suddenly it's changed forever as it shatters into that myriad of pieces. Everything's changed. 
And something like that happens with Adam and Eve. Something like that happens with the world and creation. And all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Adam and Eve back together again. The good news is we know the story doesn't end there. God sent Jesus to die for us, to take that penalty for our sins. And just as Adam's sin affected not only him, but all of creation and all people, so Jesus' death affects all of creation and all people. It's the undoing of Adam's act. Paul says, as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And Jesus' death undoes what Adam's and Eve's sin caused. In Jesus' death, our sins are forgiven. Our death sentence is turned to new life. And for the good of the world, Jesus died. And Jesus dying was so important that God said, I want you to have some way to remind yourself of that. I want you to physically be able to touch and smell and taste and see on a regular basis how important Jesus' death was in undoing what has happened. As this reminder that we only have this relationship with God through Jesus' death. And today as we gather around this table and you gather around your table at home and I hope you have the elements there and you as a family will do this together. But if, Jesus, if Genesis is the story of forbidden eating, then communion is the undoing of that. That verse I said was at the heart of that Genesis story. Eve saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it and she gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And we find those words somewhere else. We find them in that first communion setting when Jesus is sitting around a table with his disciples on that Thursday before Good Friday. When he's trying to explain to them what would happen the next day and he gives us this beautiful example and this beautiful symbol of his death. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And where Eve took some of the fruit and ate it and gave it to Adam and he ate it. So Jesus takes the bread. And he gives it to his disciples. And he says, take and eat for this is my body. He's giving us this symbol of what the cross is all about. And even in the words, you hear the undoing of everything that Adam and Eve did in their sin. Where she took and ate and gave, so Jesus takes and eats and gives. And where everything in that story of Genesis was caused by forbidden eating. So today we gather around this table. And we eat in obedience. Jesus said, do this in obedience of me.
in remembrance of me. And as Eve took that forbidden fruit and gave it to Adam and said, eat. So Jesus comes to us this morning and takes his body, which is broken for us. This bread, which is a symbol of that. And he gives it to us to eat. As a symbolic undoing of what Adam and Eve did. As his death was the undoing of the curse that came because they did it. Take and eat. In disobedience, it leads to death. Done in obedience, it leads to life. This morning we're reminded that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And sin can be defined, I think, quite simply. It's simply this. It's to take and eat forbidden fruit. And the Christian life can be defined quite simply. It's to take what God hands us. Christ died because forbidden fruit looked better to us than obedience. But in his death, there's forgiveness. There's new life. There's this starting again, which we can receive this morning afresh. Take and eat, Jesus said. This is my body given for you. And we'll do that in a few moments. But this morning we remind ourselves of the story we find ourselves in. That we are like Adam and Eve. We too have taken and eaten the forbidden fruit. The things that we thought would be better for us than what God had for us. And we remind ourselves that through the death of Jesus Christ, he comes and he offers us the food of forgiveness. The bread of life. And he comes and he says, come, take, eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a symbol that you understand. That I have undone what Adam and Eve have done. That I have undone your sin that you have done. That where you have taken the forbidden fruit and eaten that, I come and offer you my forgiveness. Come and take this broken bread. Come and take this cup. Come and take and eat and drink. Come in forgiveness. Come in confession. Come to receive. Let's pause. Just remind ourselves that it wasn't someone somewhere else's sin that caused all this, although that's true in a theological sense, but it's also just as true it was our sin that has caused this as well. Let's pray together and confess that we are the people who need God's forgiveness afresh this morning. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We've followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy law. We've left undone those things we ought to have done. We've done those things which we ought not to have done. And, O oh Lord, have mercy upon us.
We pray, O God, that you would spare those who confess their faults and restore those who are penitent according to your promises, the ones declared to the world in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. I want to invite you at home to take communion together this morning. Whether you're by yourself, you're a couple, or a family, come and gather around this broken bread and this cup. Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Caiaphas said, For the good of the nation, this Jesus must die. And God made that happen in the cross. That for the good of the world and the good of us, Jesus would die for us. And in remembrance of that, as our way of saying we want that to be true for us, that what Jesus has undone on the cross is our sin, as well as the sin of the world. Let's gather. And I invite you as a family, individual, couple, however you find yourself this morning, to take the bread and to say a prayer of blessing and a prayer of thanks, and then to eat together. And then take the cup, the symbol of his blood shed for us, and pray for that. To eat and drink as those who have been forgiven, as those for whom Good Friday is the most sacred day of the year. And I invite you, come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and you desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's reward, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Come to this table. Come. Take. Eat. Give. Come and live out the undoing of Adam and Eve and the curse. Come and undo the Sins that we commit, where we seize that forbidden fruit, come and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and in that find our forgiveness. I invite you now to come.